Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you in the new year, 2021. It is January 4th, and you likely hearing this on Tuesday, January 5th. And we've got a new year, which means we are headed. We are on a collision course to spring training and a new baseball season. As of this moment, the reports were that the plan is for spring training and the regular season to begin as normally scheduled, you know, at their normal times, uh, obviously with the state of the world that is all subject to change. But that means we have a Chicago Cubs season to start preparing for. And we will do that on this episode. If you listen to our last episode, we broke down kind of our instant reaction. We recorded it the day the trade was uh, sort of not made official, but confirmed that it was going to be happening. It it was processing. It was going through. And we gave you our honest uh, gut feelings. It was unfiltered, uncensored. And that's how we feel. But today and, and going forward, they made the deal. It's all processed. Yu Darvish is no longer a Chicago Cub. The Chicago Cubs farm system has four new young names in it, and Zach Davies is a part of the Chicago Cubs major league rotation. So we will press forward. They they they've made the move. We'll we'll proceed forward. And in what what do they do now? Where do they go from here? How do we feel about where they stand in the NL Central as currently constructed? 
And I think a lot of the focus for today's episode is going to be in in breaking down the trade and in, in meeting with the media. Uh, last week, Jed Hoyer said, we still intend to put a competitive team on the field in 2021, compete for the NL Central title. And so I think we'll take a look at that. Are they doing that right now? What can they do even working within, uh, you know, some financial constraints to make that more of a reality and get ready for, for this team? Uh, you know, so we, again, you know, we kind of laid out how we feel about things, but we press on because the page turns anew and, and a new season is around the corner here. But before we do that, I would be remiss if I did not mention that today, Monday, January 4th, is the 29th birthday of one Christopher Lee Bryant. You Happy birthday. may remember Chris Bryant uh, won the Rookie of the Year award. He's been an all-star multiple times. He was the National League MVP in 2016, which was also the year that he won the World Series with the Chicago Cubs as their starting third baseman. Huge hits throughout those playoffs, especially in the World Series. And that's all I really have to say. Uh, He's 29, Brendan. Our our baby boy is growing up. Wow. Growing up, Corey. His wife, uh, Jess, posted on Instagram today to to wish Chris a happy birthday, a a photo of the three of them, Jess, Chris, and their son, Kyler, in the outfield at Wrigley Field. And, you know, it's just like one of those things where like you see that and you think back to Chris getting drafted and and this this whole journey and it's it's uh really something to to see him with his beautiful family at Wrigley Field and I I especially was thinking back I know we talked about it on here but that interview that he did with Taylor McGregor during one of the spring training games in mm-hmm. 2020 or earlier in 2020 where he talked about how proud he was to be a father soon and how much he was looking forward to it and and how it was what he felt he was put on this earth to do uh, was to be a father and to see him and Jess in the outfield at Wrigley Field it just it it warms your heart it was a nice way to start the year uh to see that that photo of the three of them uh Kyler you know in, in his Cubs stuff in the outfield in Wrigley Field just just beautiful <laughs> and a nice positive note to uh start the year Brendan but we do have actual news, not just celebrating people's birthdays here on the Cubs Related Podcast, and that is that we have a replacement for Len Casper, Brendan. And 2020 ended in with not good news, uh, at, at least for, for Cubs fans and, and you know, especially uh, big fans of you, Darvish. But 2021, getting off on the right foot. Uh, we heard from the executives at Marquis, Mike McCarthy, and uh, of course, uh, you know, the the president of the business side of the Cubs, Crane Kenny, when Len made the decision to go to the White Sox and take their radio gig, that they were going to do a big search, that there was huge national interest uh, from, from many prominent names in the Cubs play-by-play job. And one thing from Crane Kenny that he said at the time was, we are looking for someone that fits Cubs culture, not ownership culture. And I believe that they did a really good job of delivering on that uh, Mm -hmm. with the news that we got on Monday. And that is uh, that coming from ESPN, uh, John 
Boog Shambi is your new play-by-play man for the Chicago Cubs. Like I said, coming over from ESPN, you've probably heard him. Uh, he did, I believe, radio on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, you know, while uh, Matt Vaskurgeon and A-Rod were doing the TV very poorly. Um, and if you remember those clips from spring training last year where Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant were mic'd up for the entire game, or for a significant portion of the game, uh, Boog was one of the members of the ESPN crew that day who was, you know, sort of leading that interview and kind of guiding that conversation. You know, if you remember those clips, KB talking about, um, you know, his nickname in the hotel from the Sandlot and things like that, like that was Boog leading that interview. And uh, just for reference, everybody calls him Boog. Uh, I suppose you can call him John, but everything I've seen calls him Boog Shiambi. So we're going to go with that unless he specifies that he'd prefer otherwise. Um, But that is your new play-by-play man. And by all accounts, I I know that this was not necessarily officially in question, but I know just with Len leaving and, you know, some of the stuff at at, at Marquis from last year, there was at least a little bit of wonder as to whether JD would be back or if there would be kind of a wholesale change. Based on the interactions today, um, it seems safe to say that JD is going to be a part of this booth and it is going to be uh, Boog and JD leading the show. And you know, we we talked about at the time, really, uh, Brendan, I think a lot of the concern was that that same day that Len left, there was a report from NBC Sports Chicago that it was Chris Meyer's job and, you know, that that wasn't official, but that he was going to get the job. Um, and so I don't know if that report was erroneous or, you know, maybe not as, as concrete as it seemed at the time. Or if maybe there was a change of plans, there you know there was certainly a lot of negative reaction to that that we talked about. Um, but like I I have not heard hours and hours of Boog doing games. But what I have heard and and hearing him over the years and certainly just like perusing some of his social media stuff and 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 the clips that are circling around today. I think they nailed this, Brendan. Um, there were a lot of yeah. good, like, kind of dream candidates or, or names that people were talking about in the early parts of this process. But I think they nailed this. This is a great hire, and I do think that they delivered on what Crane Kenny stated at the time, which was somebody that can fit with Cubs culture and the culture of Cubs fans. And I, I believe that they nailed that with this decision. When you're hearing names, as you mentioned, like Chris Myers, you're you're kind of putting those names into a bucket of inauthenticity, and that that was my concern because you're going to be listening to these guys in in Boog's case over 130 times a right. year, right? So you don't want to have someone who's going to inundate you with like false optimism or false uh, hype, if you will. And I think just from listening to to Boog's broadcast over the years, even on the radio on Sunday night, he has like kind of a witty humor to him. He doesn't take himself too seriously, kind of like how Len did not take himself too seriously. And I think that's really displayed during that KB and Rizzo mic up. And in terms of like, you know, complimenting one another, I think JD might be complimented better by Boog than Len. Not to say, uh, you know, Len was bad or anything with that. But the reason I do say that is because Boog does have a little bit more of like a comedic element to him. 
And that I think will play well with with JD. And from the Marquis perspective, it was kind of the best of both worlds. You do get your national big name with Bukshiambi, right. that type of national feel, but at the same time, he also has that local, authentic, don't take yourself too serious type feel to him as well. So overall, I, I like it. I remember watching Boog for, you know, over the years. I'm like, this, this guy's pretty good. I wouldn't mind seeing him on Sunday Night Baseball replacing Veskersian. And so for him to come over to the Cubs, I like it. I think there could have been so many worse options that we, we, we almost got fortunate given the news we've been hearing over the past few months. And I think this is a slam dunk. It's a no-brainer. It fits the marquee's agenda. It fits you know, the fans' agenda. And over the years, we've been fortunate to have so many good Cubs broadcasters. And this is another one to the list. Yeah, I, I think that this is a really good decision um, and one that, again, like, you know, we look back. I mean, Len has written about this. He's done interviews about this, you know, that he, he made the decision because he wanted to do radio and, and the opportunity presented itself. And, and uh, you know, I know that that was a, a, a big loss for, for us and a lot of people. Um, but this is a this is a really good choice, and I think it does – mitigate those concerns. I, I think that a lot of those yeah. concerns, um, you know, that were represented by those Chris Myers rumors, you're, you're, you're not going to get with Boog. And I, I think you can watch a lot of the clips that were circulating today. Um, like I said, from Brizzo being mic'd up in spring training, there's a really good video of David Ross when he was doing booth work for ESPN, um, along with Chipper Jones telling some stories and, and having a good time with that stuff. And, and you can just really tell that I think Boog is going to be able to dial into Cubs fandom and, and be able to speak to that fan base. Uh, even though, like you said, I, I do think he does check the boxes for Marquis in terms of having that national experience and sort of bringing able, being able to bring that national feel at times. But I think he, even in just a, a few clips, you can really see that he demonstrates that ability to connect with a more local and specific audience, uh, which I think was something yeah. that was really important uh, about this. And like you said, you know, the, the Cubs and Marquis are going to allow him to continue to do some national stuff and, and some radio stuff and, and continue to do some of those projects. And he's going to do about 130 of the Cubs games. So, you know, between the the national broadcast that they're already going to be a part of Sunday night baseball Wednesday night baseball whatever it is um then some other stuff that he's he's doing that's it's it it's a pretty standard number yeah. um and that that's that's the key and we talked about this at the time like why people cared about this so much um you know this is someone who's coming into your home and and coming into your life for a few hours a day over 130 times you know that's that's not a small thing and having that connection and uh being able to feel that vibe from the fan base is really important and i think him and jd are you can really easily envision them creating a a good vibe in that broadcast booth and, and creating that vibe that makes you feel like you're listening in on a friendly conversation. It's just fun. Yeah. It's a fun vibe. About the game yeah. that you're watching. And, you know, again, like, you know, you, you don't want it to be a, it's not a comedy club or, or like, you know, completely uh, a friendly conversation, but 
I think when you when you think back to some of the the key pairings that we've had throughout even just our lives, Brendan, um, you know, Lennon JD, Pat and Ron Santo, Pat and Ron Coomer, like there is a feel that you're privy to a conversation between friends and, and people that have a connection and can speak to one another and can have a fun conversation with one another and can, you know, just have that rapport that, that you come to expect when you tune into the broadcast rather than kind of a completely sterile uh, environment where you kind of feel like the two people don't know each other at all and they don't know anything about the game that they're calling which is you know what I think the major fear was if if you're sort of veering towards a more national feel you think about a lot of those NFL football games or like we said just Sunday night baseball and the common takeaway is you know this feels like they have no idea about the team they're watching they don't have a good rapport they feel kind of like disconnected from each other and the 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 early read I, from everybody and and certainly me is you can really envision JD and Boog having a really good time up there and delivering an entertaining, informative, and passionate broadcast for Cub fans going forward, which is what Marquis wanted to do. And short of seeing it and hearing it, I, I think that this is uh, about as as well as they could have done. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listing platforms that you listen to us on. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as really any other hosting site would charge you just for you know initially setting it up. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you just want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, just go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Well, I think ESPN was even lucky to have Shiambi on on their broadcast team for that many years. And with Vaskersian being a candidate for, I suppose, leave the Cubs job, along with Chris Myers, like those guys have such a national pulse. And I, I think for Vaskersian, the one thing I was turned off by him is he he tends to, it's not always, but listening to those Sunday night broadcasts, he tends to criticize or highlight some of the the negatives, and that's appealing towards a demographic that I think is not growing baseball to to, to be kind. And I think for Shambi, he doesn't do that. You're going to see funny moments from him. Um, and I I'm thinking about the one backflip by Contreras when Len and JD were like ooing and awing yeah. in uh, <laughs> against the White Sox. And I'm just imagining what Shambi would say with JD in the booth. I, it, it would be hilarious, right? But the the big takeaway with him is you're not going to get a hyper critique from Shambi. Like, I don't think you're going to get that. And it's going to come from a place of 
you know, humility and knowing your place as a broadcaster and knowing how much the game has changed over the years. And rather than highlighting that in a negative context, which I think the national uh, ESPN broadcast does a little bit too often, and even the Fox broadcast with Schmoltz, you're, you're not going to get that with him at all. And that's a huge bonus. And kind of ironically, taking him away from ESPN, maybe he's going to do the same amount of games uh, as he did last year, who knows, but taking him away from that national context, it might actually hurt the game a little bit because he is so good at not doing that and doing the exact opposite. Yeah, and I think too, uh, and then you know we'll kind of get into uh, the Cubs on the field, but I think that Boog is going to be able to bring one of the things that we highlighted about Len that we kind of loved the most, which was being able to speak about the game in an informed way with where the game is, uh, but not doing so in an insulting or like overbearing kind of way, right? If you just peruse uh, Boog's social media, you can kind of tell like he's analytically inclined, he reads fan graphs, he, you know, his understanding of these metrics and, and things like that. But I think he can integrate those into conversations and into discussions without the broadcast feeling like it's a sabermetric seminar, right? And that that was something that we really highlighted uh, that we in particular loved about Len. But I I think that's important uh, for the broadcasts, you know. Um, There's obviously a segment that doesn't like the numbers and and doesn't like, you know, kind of the quote-unquote nerdier side of the game, right? But it it informs the game. It, it's how front offices work. It's it's where the game is going. And I think it's important, especially for the local broadcasters, to be able to communicate that stuff and to be able to explain that stuff and to be able to just see the game from that perspective, whether they love it, hate it, agree with it, disagree with it, because that's where the game is. And, and I think that uh, John Shambi is, is someone who can do a good job of that. I think especially paired with the J.D., they're going to be able to bring you informative, insightful conversation, but you're not going to feel like you're in a college statistics lecture, right? Like they're going to be yeah. able to bring you that information and keep you informed, keep you up to date, but not beat you over the head with it um, or feel like really dry about it. And I don't think that needs to be the case even for like ESPN's broadcast. We talked about this a few months ago, but the fact they had a stack cast alternative broadcast for some of their games, you don't need that. You know, baseball statistics is not college calculus. You can explain these numbers to a junior high player, man. Like the fact that it gets so tied up into an advanced context is so unnecessary in my opinion. It's intuitive to want to know how fast does a player hit the baseball and if that speed correlates to production. Like it's it's not counterintuitive. And I think Boog will highlight that. You're gonna be getting some more numbers in your broadcast maybe not more than Len, but you're going to get these numbers in a way that seems natural, that doesn't seem like they're being talked about as like an advanced sabermetrics type way, which I which I hate. I think that's to everyone's disadvantage on a national broadcast. The moral of the story is I think this is a great hire. Um, you know, I think everybody has had their opinions about Marquis since it started and, and the direction of things and the broadcast and things like that. Um, and I think it's all fair, uh, but when they get something right, we're going to say they got it right. And I think they nailed this. Um, you know, obviously we have to see, we haven't heard him and JD do a broadcast, but I, I think it's fair to say that uh, <laughs> the <be> expectations <laughs> are, are very high. Yeah. And 
in an off season that has been filled with mostly farewells and and uh, you know not great news on on the Cubs' perspective. We're we're welcoming John Shambi and we're very excited about it. This is a great hire. This is a good job by uh, Crane Kenny, Mike McCarthy, and and the team at Marquee. Yeah. They 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 got this right, and I think the Cubs are lucky to have pulled Boog away from ESPN and and, and the more national spotlight. This is a, a great hire. So, moving on to where the Cubs are. So I don't want to break down everything that Jed Hoyer said in the press conference or the meeting with the media. I, you know, I don't know if it's all via Zoom, so I don't know if it's really called a press conference anymore because um, it's all virtual, but I guess it's still a conference, just a virtual one. But whatever you want to call it, I don't want to break down the whole thing. Like I said, like we reacted to it. It's obviously more nuanced than our immediate unfiltered reaction like an hour after it happened. Um, but we we've we've been through it and you know as with anything else like we can sit here and rant about this and rant about that but they made the move this is how they're proceeding and we move forward and we'll we'll speak about it uh pragmatically and and analytically um but where i want to start brendan is one thing that jed said did uh kind of stick out to me um and the th- this is clear, and we knew this, and we knew this going into this offseason, and we had heard this from Theo even while he was still at the helm. So this isn't new. Like, we know that their eye is toward the future. Um, I-, I think how much in the future was a-, a-, a bit of a surprise when you saw, you know, kind of the the youth in the return on the Darvish deal. But we we knew that the eye was toward the future. They, everybody involved in the organization basically has said as much uh, for a, a while now. But one thing I, I and I, I'll just ask you bluntly, um, Jed Hoyer at the, you know, and we've also heard in addition to the eye being on the future, we've heard from everybody that they intend to compete in 2021. Now, obviously what that means can take on a lot of different variations. But Jed reiterated that post the U Darvish trade um, in saying, I believe we'll compete in the division in 2021. Now, we have said relentlessly that this division sucks, and I keep repeating it because I almost don't think you can <laughs> uh, emphasize just how much it sucks. Um, I feel like there's like some real, if you watch football, some real NFC East vibes to the NL Central, at least as it stands, unless somebody decides they're going to start spending money like crazy. Um, That's really the vibe that you get. So I'll just ask you like point blank, like post Darvish trade as constructed right now, right? Are are they winning the division? Do you think that they are delivering on that idea of competing in the division in 2021 as currently constructed, given the way the rest of the division is constructed? They're competing, right? I think there's so many pieces of the puzzle that need to be filled that I think it's premature to say one way or the other, but they are among the top teams, if you want to call them top teams, in this division. Now, this is so premature, but it does kind of lay the landscape out for what the Cubs could do and where they could improve. But right now in fan graphs, the Cubs have the highest batting projected war in the NL Central. Right now, they rank 15 out of 30 teams, right in the middle of the pack of Major League Baseball. And that's so premature because, you know, the Cardinals are still filling out their team, the Brewers, and even the Cubs are filling out their team as well. So take that with a grain of salt, but this just shows 
where we are right now, there is a path forward, maybe even within their budget, to at least be competitive. And the way I'm seeing it now, if you're projected to win 80 games in the NL Central this year, even a flat 80 with how off projections are, one standard deviation away is five wins. So you're well within the realm of possibility of reaching 85, 86 wins, even if your flat projection going into 2021 is 80 wins. So that, I guess, gives fans confidence. I don't know how stoked you want to be about being a 500 baseball team projected, uh, but that's all to say there there is a path forward and there are staples on this team that will be here next year absent of any type of extreme move. Rizzo is going to be back. Kyle Hendricks is slotted in as much as we did not like the trade uh, involving you, Darvish. You know, Zach Davies has had some consistency over the year, and his type of pitch portfolio might play well with the Cubs defensive team that was among the best in 2020 in the field. So there is a path forward. I think where I'm at right now is you kind of have to wait and see. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I don't even think the front office knows uh, exactly where they're going to be for for a budget payroll next year. But right now, they do stand at $140 million guaranteed. You throw in some of those extra incentives with the CBA, it's around $150 million. So where they are by opening day, who knows where their threshold is, but if they have an extra... 10 million to spend, 15 million to spend. I do think it's possible to go in 2021, at least be competing for the division in terms of the rest of the National League. It's not going to happen like this year unless something crazy happens during the season. They're not going to be, you know, top dogs in in the NL. But crazy stuff does happen. We saw the Marlins make the playoffs in the 60 game season. We've seen teams go into the playoffs like the Giants recently, under 90 wins, win a World Series. So crazy stuff does happen. We've broken down like whether or not you know, obviously, I don't think any of our immediate goal is to simply compete in a bad division in 2021. But again, that that's the direction that they're at, and and that's what we're facing. And I and I think there is a way, as you stated, um, to compete in this division in 2021, and not really. Jed talked in in the press conference a little bit about you know how it didn't really make a lot of sense to add a contract similar to when they signed Darvish, you know, a a multi-year deal for a lot of money that is projecting somebody to be involved in a very lengthy portion of your future, right? So that, that, with the money that we've heard and with Jed sort of literally saying that, like, they're not going to sign guys to five, six-year huge deals, right? Can they sign guys to one-year deals, two-year deals, things like that? We'll see, right? And, and you know, we, we kind of have to see how that all plays out. Do they have to move more money in, in to be able to do that? Again, we don't really know. They're, 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 they've given us a little bit of insight, a little bit of clues to, you know, they're not going to go over the luxury tax. It's not happening in 2021. Jed said that, like, flatly. It just doesn't make sense to pump a bunch of money. This is what he said, not not me explaining this. Um, you know, so that's not going to happen. We know these things. What they can do on a smaller level, we're not really sure of. Um, that remains to be seen. But I think there's, you know, given where they're at and, and what they are doing and the reality of it, I, I think there's worse things than 
competing in a bad division. Um, you know, it, it's it's not the path that I would like them to be taking. We know that, but you compete in a bad division. You give maybe some of these younger guys the opportunity, guys like Adbert Alzali. Um, you know, we'll see if if any of the the Tyson Miller, Corey Abbotts of the world get involved and get a look, things like that. And you see what happens. And you know, obviously, it's it's an interesting rotation as it stands. Uh, that that's the the more curious part to me about how they decide to go forward in this. And Jed did talk about this a little bit uh, after the Darvish trade. The the thing that's interesting to me is, and we talked about this on the last episode. You've got three guys in your rotation, unless plans change, that don't throw very hard and and have a similar way of trying to get hitters out and and being productive obviously to varying degrees of success um so you're going to have to find ways to diversify the looks at some point right because Kyle Hendricks is one of the best pitchers in the league right we've seen that he's performed on that level for years now i got no i got no questions about Kyle Hendricks right but when two other members of the rotation are also slower throwers that rely on weaker contact and the defense behind them to convert it to outs and things like that. Those are very similar looks, um, and I would expect they'll be broken up in the rotation, whether it's by Alzali, other guys, etc. You know, I would assume we're not going to see a weekend series where the Cubs throw those three guys in succession, um, but it is something to consider and and to think about as they decide who else is going to be in that rotation, you know, whether you do a, a six-man rotation at times, things like that, um, because it's it's just not a, it, it's not a conventional, to say the least, strategy to throw three guys that pitch like that. And it's certainly not where the game itself is going, right? Like the game, as far as pitching is concerned, is is heading towards spin rate and velocity and, and that kind of combination we see, you know, however many years ago, it was a marvel when somebody threw 102 miles an hour, right? Like now, like half the teams in the league have somebody coming out of their bullpen pumping gas like that. So it's, it's a unique approach. Um, so I think that's where... I'm looking to see how they decide to address the rest of this offseason. Um, what do they do about the rotation, whether that's adding some of the depth guys that are out there, um, if you can find them for, for cheap and things like that to add to that back end of the rotation? Do they stay in-house and, and you know, again, give someone like Corey Abbott or, or one of these other guys an opportunity to take that spot? Um, but just how you game plan and and strategize for a rotation that has three guys doing something that isn't particularly conventional, so to speak. Um, I, I think that one thing about Davies in particular, it, it, he he's immediately, it's, it's, he's going to get a bad rap to a degree because he was included in that trade, right? But he's been a, a solid starter and I think can be a, a solid contributor to this team. And I would have to think, Brendan, like the Cubs have clearly had success with Kyle Hendricks. Now, not everybody can be Kyle Hendricks, um, but the Cubs clearly know what they're doing in terms of developing a pitcher like that, game planning for a pitcher like that, and, and helping Hendricks to maximize what he does in terms of tunneling, changing speeds, repeating mechanics, things like that. 
So you, you would hope that this is a very good organization for Zach Davies to be in, uh, whether that's just dealing with the pitching infrastructure of guys like Tommy Hottavy and Craig Breslow, but also just learning from Kyle Hendricks. There's no better way to become a better uh, sort of copy uh, of Kyle Hendricks than to learn from Kyle Hendricks, right? Davies is a little different than Hendricks, though. And I think the comparison, which is fair um, between the two, is they're, they're slow pitchers with a decent changeup. And that, that, to me, is huge, but that's where it ends. Because Hendricks, what got him to the next level was, ironically, his four-seam and throwing elevated four-seamers and sinkers over the years. So Davies does not throw a four-seam fastball. He throws a cutter, and he throws a sinker and a changeup, and that's basically it. And no curveball over the last two years. So while they're softballers, they're different in how they attack batters. So I don't really buy the similar look argument at the surface. Yeah, I get the fact that they're going to be throwing in the upper 80s, mid 80s, but they're going to be attacking batters completely differently. You're going to have Hendricks throwing a four-seam fastball up in the zone way more than Zach Davies. And you're going to be seeing way more change-ups from Zach Davies than Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks, uh, compared to Davies, Davies throws a, a change-up almost once every other pitch. Hendricks is around once every four pitches. So they are different. And the fact that you have Davies throwing a cutter also adds to the little bit of a difference between the two guys. I like Davies. I think overall, yeah, you're going to be getting fewer whiffs, and that's where the similarities are. But how they generate that weak contact is different. I think they are different looks. And I'm just because he's not going to be throwing 94, 95, 96 doesn't mean that batters are going to have trouble picking up differences between Hendricks and Davies. That being said, I do think you need to bolster that defense because you will be getting more action in the field. And right now, the Cubs already have a strong core defensively to field and vacuum up some of those ground balls and some of those fly balls you're going to get. So I think a path forward, which makes sense to me, and some people on Twitter, including friend of the podcast, Ryan Tomir, has talked about this, is getting more guys on your team at a cost-effective price that are defensive not first, but defensive heavy guys. And I think one example uh, is Jerickson Profar, who was mentioned just, you know, floating the idea out there by Sahad of Sharma and Patrick Mooney of The Athletic as a potential candidate for this team. Someone who plays left field, second base, a natural shortstop coming up with the uh, Texas Rangers many years ago. And as an outfielder last year, he had, and you know, this is defensive metrics and I get the issues with it but he rated as one of the better left fielders in the in the league last year in a 60 game sample and he's a pretty solid defender look if you're a shortstop you're naturally going to be a good defender um, if you're moving around the diamond like that so I think there's a I, I think there's a path forward here I think the puzzle is really difficult to piece together but tying this rotation together with more depth, getting guys who are defensively sound, both in the outfield and the infield, and just minimizing some of the dumb mistakes, some of the errors that you saw plague the 2019 Cubs, for example, that were improved upon last year, but now taking the next step 
and getting even stronger defensively, becoming the best defensive team in the league, which I do think is possible with a few smaller scale free agent acquisitions and seeing some progression by Nico Horner at second base, seeing David Bodie get more comfortable, still seeing David Bodie not messing up those easy plays right to him. And this is not just like bashing David Bodie. Statistically speaking, Bodie's one of the better third basemen and second basemen on balls hit laterally than he is with balls hit directly to him for, for for some reason. Maybe he has just a mental block there for whatever reason. But I I, I think Bodie with some more time, some more innings, even at second base, you're going to get some defensive uh, improvements on his end too. So Corey, I, I like it and I think there is a path forward. Yeah, I, I think that is an interesting idea and I think an interesting roadmap for one of the ways, you know, I, I think, look, like bluntly, I think right now as constructed, if we were doing our preview podcast in spring training today, I would say I think the Cubs are going to win the division. Um, There's so much to be left, though. Sure, right? like you I mean, still have so. I mean, the rotation. I get what you're saying. Of it's, course, I'm. And- I'm just saying, like uh, again, to sort of reiterate just how bad this division is. Like, I just don't see. You know, would I put a? You know, would I bet a lot of money on it? Like, no, probably not. But like, I just genuinely don't see any reason not to think that they can't win the division. I just don't think anybody in this division is unquestionably better than them. Um, and you know, really, a lot of the teams in the division have also gotten worse, uh, one way or the other. But I think one way to, if the goal is to, you know, you're not going to be in that upper free agent pool, you are not looking to sell out, right, obviously, for the 2021 team. That is clear. You've got your eye on the future. You've got your eye, whenever this is, you've got your eye on getting back over that luxury tax, spending in the upper threshold again sometime in the future, but not 2021. I think one way to sort of bridge the gap is what you're saying, and that is a, a looking at the cheaper end of the free agent pool, guys, you know, with maybe bounce back potential or, you know, sort of in that reclamation project variety or just guys who are happy to have an opportunity somewhere, right? And doing so with an eye on defense, which is not specifically, you know, a, a, a normal approach, I guess, but but really selling out for defense. And I think that is something you can do if you're only operating in that kind of bargain bin of free agency. I think that you can find guys who offer more on a glove perspective and a defensive perspective and the value there in run prevention rather than their value at the plate in run creation. Now, that doesn't do much for the offensive concerns that we've heard from over the years, but I I don't think you're going to be able to cover all of this, and clearly the priority is not to fix all of that. Uh, for the 2021 team. It's to fix that for the franchise going forward and to create a runway uh, where that is the case for a while, for the foreseeable future. So I think there, I, I think that's an interesting way to do it. Now, primarily the positions that you're looking to potentially have available, if there's no other moves, of course, uh, is second base, because we still have to see what their plan exactly is with Nico Horner and, and you know, uh, whether he's starting at the MLB level, how much playing time they want him getting. We've heard, you know, reports that they're uh, interested in him being more versatile, maybe playing in the outfield at some points, you know, so their exact plan for him is is something that will inform a lot of this, and we're not really sure 
precisely what that is at the moment. Uh, and then really, you know, one outfield spot, again, yeah. as of this moment. And if you were able to find somebody to slot in in center field who was giving you defensive value there, allowing Ian Happ to go to left field, which is a scenario that Jed himself said was possible if they could find somebody, you know, worthwhile to bring in that would be uh, worth moving Ian to a different position. You have Hayward and Wright, obviously, like whoever this mystery person is in center field, it's a solid defensive outfield, right? And then, you know, we know that the infielders that the Cubs have currently have already been a part of a historic level defense back in 2016. Uh, Chris Bryan, Javi Baez, and Anthony Rizzo. What you want to do at second base there, we'll see. But if you fill that in again with someone who is providing you that extra value on defense with Wilson Contreras behind the plate, that's a that's a solid team. And if you're looking at guys like Hendricks, like Zach Davies, like Alec Mills, if you're taking the perspective of we are going to build a team that is going to convert what these guys do on the mound into outs as much as we possibly can, it's an interesting approach to take. Um, you know, again, like, does it put you in a, in a space where you would be, even if you do compete and win the division, you know, where you would be confident in that in a playoff series or confident in, you know, facing teams that would be pretty overpowering, um, you know, in, in teams like the Braves or the Dodgers or the Padres now, you know, probably not. But as we all know, like if you can get into the playoffs, you get a ticket to the dance, you take it and you see what you can do, right? Anybody can screw around. Um, so I think that's an interesting approach. Um, and, you know, defensive metrics are what they are. And, and you know, that stuff uh, varies at least a little bit. But I, I think that if if you're looking, it's it's very it's all just to say it's very hard to completely reconfigure the offense if there's not a lot of money to do so, or if you have to move guys who contribute on offense in order to bring in other ones. That that's a that is a a very uh, small needle to thread, right? To be able to completely overhaul that without the resources at the moment, right? But I do think that you can improve the defense and sort of sell out a little bit for that portion of the game of baseball in this lower free agent tier, in, the, in this lower kind of cost tier. Is I don't know if that's exactly what they're going to do, but I, I do think that's a rather interesting strategy. And given the rotation that you're going to have, it it doesn't strike me as the worst idea. I, I I actually kind of like that idea, given the reality of the situation. One candidate that I really like, I think it makes a lot of sense given this current era, is Jackie Bradley Jr. So Jackie and Bradley, we've heard already, and we've heard his name. So you know, hopefully it, it kind of progresses a little bit. But the reason I like Jackie Bradley Jr. Is because he may be the best offensive center fielder in the league, even at his age, which will be 32, uh, 31 next year. So according to Baseball Savant, he rated in the 99th percentile with outs above average in the outfield last year. What that means is he's, he's basically better than everyone else in the league. And then if you look at uh, some of the corresponding metrics like UZR and defensive runs above average. He's also in you know the top 10 of, of outfielders in the league consistently. 
And so Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to shore up if he's on the team, that center field position. And you can always match him with Ian Happ during some days, depending on what you do with that left field position. But if you want to improve defensively, Jackie Bradley Jr. is right there. Even last year offensively with the Red Sox in 217 plate appearances, he put up a WRC plus Corey of 119. He had an overall uh, war of 1.4 just in 55 games. And the year before that, this is probably more in line with what you can expect offensively. But he put up a weighted on base average of 314. Not the worst, a WRC plus of 90. So he's below league average. But he still, even in 550 plate appearances, was able to put up 1.54. Which if you scale that, you're around basically a league average, slightly below league average player. But for the price tag, for the defense, for some of the situational uh, appearances, that could play up for the Cubs. And if you complement that with someone like Jerickson Profar, even Corey Matt Duffy. With Profar and Duffy, those two guys are going to give you a lot of contact, some plate discipline, a lot of positional flexibility. You can see just having Jackie Bradley Jr., Jerickson Profar, Matt Duffy, if he makes a team, and Philip Irvin. You're going to have some versatility. You're going to play better defense from a projectable standpoint. And you're also going to be making more contact than you did last year because you had Kyle Schwarber in left field. You had Ian Happ playing center field. So you had a little bit less defensive production as a result from both of those positions. So I I think there's a path forward and it's it's hard to communicate this without sounding too optimistic because this, I mean... This team should be better. We should be looking at players above Jackie Bradley Jr. and Matt Duffy and Jerickson Profar. But given that we're operating under this constraint, under this reality, this makes sense to me. I think it's doable. And I think... From my point of view, like I love watching defense. Like I'm, I, I love watching Javi just field ground balls and Nico field ground balls. You get Jerickson Profar on this team, who's a quality infielder and even, you know, arguably maybe even a better outfielder. That's going to pique my interest for sure. Load up on those guys, throw the Tom Amansky video in the clubhouse, and you know, see what happens. <laughs> Let's right? Do it. Yeah. This is this is the the glove show now for the uh, Chicago Cubs, but I I think. Really, what it's it's all to say now, as far as being competitive in 2021, like this would is obviously made a lot easier again by how bad the division is. It's a completely different discussion if they're playing in a different division, right? Um, but that that's where they are, and if they're deciding to take advantage of that, you know, whether it's you know they're forced to because of the financial situation or not that's a better spot to be in, right? Um, but I do think that, again, whether it's the path we'd like to be taking or not, I, I, I think that what's important is this is Jed's team now, right? And he has got, he is, whether he has been mandated to do this at a specific time or in a specific way, right? Like his goal, as stated, is to create a better future for this organization. And that is not really including 2021, right? And I think that there are ways for him to accomplish those goals. And one of the things that he talked about in terms of getting the four young players that he did for Darvish was that you know, this team has obviously had developmental 
failings. And I think we, we've, we've always said this, right, that no matter how much we gripe about the payroll or, you know, ownership and, and what's going on right now, that there is not one individual person that you can just lay all of the blame on. And, you know, if you're a, a longtime listener to this podcast, you know that Brendan and I have long criticized uh, Theo and his front office for sticking with players too long. Um, I can't even guess how many hours I've spent complaining about Albert Almora on this podcast, right? So I, I'm just bringing that up to to say that, you know, while the last episode was obviously very heavy on the ownership criticism for what is going on right now, that in no way, shape, or form should be taken as like that is the only thing at fault and the only thing that Jed is trying to fix at the moment, right? And so what he talked about in getting those four players was we need that pipeline to not only be able to deliver us more consistently players on the major league level that we can replace guys whose contracts come up or guys who get traded and replace them with cost-effective and talented options, but also to have more capital within the system to make trades, to be the team's going out and and making the trades like the Padres just did for you Darvish, right? And and that the Cubs have done in the past. We've seen them do that a lot and and often uh you know to big names and and to big payoffs at times. So I it's what I'm getting at is I think that there is a way for the Cubs to maintain competitiveness relatively in 2021 and also be doing what Jed is focused on, which is building up that system and and putting him and his front office and this organization in a better place to succeed going forward. Now, will that involve moving more talent? Probably, right? Um, who that should be is obviously the, the, the key situation there. But I think that there are ways for Jed to accomplish what his goal is. And again, is this where we we is this how I would be going about it? Is this how I hoped they would be going about sort of getting a different look and and changing things up from, you know, rather than just running it back with that core? Not exactly, right? And I think we highlighted that in the fact that you're you're really trading Darvish uh from a position of weakness even though it made sense to a degree. Uh, given use contract and the value if this is the route you were going to take. But doing it at a time where people know you're trying to move money, doing it at a time where you're getting back young players who you aren't really able to scout very well because of their lack of professional experience and also the cuts you've made to the scouting department, just not optimal, right? But there is a way, I believe, for at the end of the 2021 season, when it's all said and done, for Jed to have accomplished his goal of setting this organization up for a better future. And part of that, it has to include the payroll flexibility coming back, right? A lot of this is not as useful if the the, the payroll flexibility is not going to eventually go back to that top level. Um, But I think there is a path there. 
And I think that Jed can accomplish it. And, you know, again, that that may involve moving other guys that we love and that we've, you know, become uh, very attached to and, and, and things like that. But that's where they are. That's the reality of, of, of what they're doing. And I think the key, if they're going to do that, is getting perhaps a more secure and less uh, risky, I guess, feeling return for those players. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of rumors out there right now. I, I still think Wilson it tends to be the, the most talked about name. Um, and I, I think the key for stuff like that is you've got to get maximum return. You can't be making multiple deals in an offseason, right, Brendan, where you're looking at it going like, this feels suboptimal, you know, and it feels like this is not the best they could have done. If you're going to do more of these, you have to be nailing the return, and and I think on a different level than guys who were 18 and 19. Mm -hmm. But it's it's all just to, to say that I do think that if Jed's goal is to maintain relative competitiveness without significant additions for the 2021 season and have the organization feel like it's in a better, you know, uh, depth position on all levels by the time 2021 is over, I do think that he can do that. And while it might not be fun and, you know, perhaps we're angry at, at why it's happening and how it's happening, I think by the time 2022 rolls around, I think the organization can be in a good place for it. One quote that stood out to me before a Darvish was traded by Jed, and this is just a paraphrase, was that he was looking at the free agent market for starting pitching depth. And that seems like an obvious place to look, right? But given where Darvish was traded and for what he was traded, there are concerns that we may not even spend anything, right? So the fact that Jed did say that I think three weeks ago, to, to me, signals that some people in this market could be obtained for like three to six million. And I'm not going to say the names. I feel like I've done this like every week now. But there are basically over two dozen starting pitching candidates that I think you can make the argument make sense for this team that are under five to six million dollars. So I think I think it's possible to go there. Uh, the The one beef I had and disappointment I had with the Darvish trade was not that they got back a group of prospects, but it's the fact that you can't, in this window, use that package of players that you received to bolster the team next year or the following year. So that that was the, the big issue I had. Now, that being said, if they go out and trade Wilson or trade even Chris Bryant, you have to get something back for 2021 and 2022. Because that that is a huge hole you're going to put in this roster. I just said maybe by opening day you have a win projection around 80 to 82 wins. You take Chris Bryant off this roster, Willis Contreras off this roster, you're losing you know four wins right there, and then you're looking at the division and thinking, okay, the Cardinals have the upper hand here, the Brewers have the upper hand here, and then for 2022, I don't know where we're going to stand unless you get back a package of more immediate value. So that. That will be the tricky thing is, do you want to hold on for Chris Bryant for 2021 and risk just him walking away and getting a qualifying offer back? Or if you're going to trade him, do you go out and trade him for a, a fizzled out former top prospect? Again, I keep saying this, like Victor Robles. I, I don't know the solution to that, but I do know if they're going to trade Wilson Contreras or some of these core guys, 
I'm going to need more back than a 17 and 18 year old. It's just, that's going to put a huge hole, a bigger hole in the calendar for the immediate future than we already are in right now. Not to say that, you know, can't get out of it. I think you can get out of it. And I think Jed will intend to get out of it. It's just, I'm a little worried that (laughs) the market's not suitable to even get back immediate value for Chris Bryant and even Wilson Contreras at this point. Right. And and one of the things that we've kind of learned about this market and and part of the reason why it's not an optimal time to be doing this stuff is the Cubs aren't the only team that are not putting their foot on the pedal to compete, right? And that creates a, 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 a demand vacuum right? Where teams like the Padres, you look at a team like the Dodgers, uh, the Braves made some moves throughout this this offseason. I assume the Yankees will participate in this group. But there's not a lot of teams that are clearly like going out there and really putting that emphasis on right now. Because you have a lot of these teams with you know similar situations where their ownership lost money, they're they're not willing to spend until they see whether fans are coming back, this, that, and the other, right? So it, it's not the best time for it, but I but I agree, and and I think you know again, like it, it's it's not necessarily my preferred course of action, but if Jed's goal in this off season and with the moves that he makes ultimately is to have improved the farm system and the pipeline at every level or you know at least in terms of uh, that competitiveness window right meaning you got a bunch of young guys who are going who have a lot of raw tools that have a lot of raw talent that you're going to try to develop and move through the system if you move somebody else what i would like to see and and again i i don't really deal in hypotheticals so i don't know if we're talking one player at this level two players at this level i don't know right it depends on who we're talking about but get back guys who fit more in and i think this is what you're talking about with that space in the calendar brendan who fit more in that group of miguel amaya braylon marquez not necessarily in terms of their ranking as prospects but where you're envisioning them helping you at the major league level. And then I think by the end of the offseason, or if some of these moves happen at the trade deadline, whatever, Jed would be able to say, I have completed my goal, if this is in fact his goal specifically, right? I've gotten upper level talent in the minors, I've gotten lower level talent, and I've gotten some mid-level talent I think he can accomplish that, you know. Um, it, it may not be easy. It, it may not be optimal. But I think if that is his intention, which it certainly sounds like to some degree it is, right, um, I think he can do that. And and I, I think, you know, again, like it's not where we want to be, but if this is the reality, I think there is a way for Jed to come out of this and have – made use of this time, right? And, you know, part of the reason that I that I wanted to highlight that and, and, and really look at this from more of a how do we go forward from the Darvish trade perspective is that we were angry. You know, we're not—I'm still not thrilled about it, right? Like, uh, but there was a sense, at least amongst some segments of Cub fans, at least that I saw, you know, that—, that sort of painted things in in too grim of a picture you know 
And I, 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 I get it to a degree, but part of the reason that Brendan and I were so mad and there was so much cursing is because, I mean, how many times have I said like a few simple additions, the Cubs are winning this division going away. You can get into a playoff series with Darvish and Hendricks. You can screw around, right? I feel like I've been saying that this entire offseason. So that's part of the reason we were so angry. They just won the division four months ago. You know, we don't want to see them getting worse, right? But there was a, a, a sort of, purveying sentiment in in some circles that like the Cubs are headed toward the dark ages, right? And they're going to be terrible for years. We're back to them never winning. It's going to be a million years before. And I, I just, I don't, I don't feel that way. I, I don't feel that level of pessimism or negativity. There, there's a long off season yet to go, but this, this organization and at all levels is better than where it was in the past. You know, you see a lot of like, oh, we're back to the Tribune Company time where they don't care if the team is good. They, you know, they're a middling budget and, you know, it's it's a couple years of competitiveness and then back to losing 100 games. Like this organization has a lot of talent in it. And we've highlighted a lot of that. We've talked about the changes to the pitching infrastructure with guys like Hadavi and Craig Breslow. Craig Breslow, who is now one of the assistant general managers of this team. We've talked about the additions that the hitting infrastructure has made with guys like Justin Stone, uh, coaches like Rachel Folden, and, and you know the, the different talent that they've added at the different levels of this system. And, you know, just from a player perspective, right? Like, th- I... I I think that there is a balance between not necessarily being thrilled with how this is playing out, why it's playing out, and and exactly how we're going into 2021. I, I think there's a middle ground between that and and thinking that the team is is headed for like being the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? Like I just I, I don't see it that way, and I think that there is a very you know there is a way for Jed to come out of this in a decent spot, in a good spot. And again, all of this hinges on the finances ticking back up and being back in that, uh, you know, top five payroll threshold, whatever it is. But if that happens, Jed has the ability, whether we like it or not, to set this team up for success in that regard. And how he goes about it and whether he's able to thread that needle successfully, we we still have to see. We've only seen one move. They've got a lot of other decisions they have to make. But I I think that he can do that. and And I don't ascribe to the theory that you know, this is some sort of beginning of, you know, a, a dark era of Cubs baseball. I think a lot of that talk was was pretty hyperbolic um, and ignoring a lot of the changes that this organization has undergone. Like, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's the best front office in the league. I don't think they have the best infrastructure in the league, you know, absolutely number one. But they, they've made a lot of strides in a lot of regards, and they do a lot of things better than plenty of other organizations. So I, I think that it's it's all about, at this point, right, trusting in Jed and, and trusting that the process he's going to go on in the immediate is going to lead them to a better place in the future. If the money comes back, the budget comes back, I see no reason that this team can't be in a good position uh, in in not too long here. I can't give you an exact timetable on that because I don't know what this is all going to look like. But I definitely just wanted to throw out there that like I think some of the 
most most like negative view of this organization is is quite hyperbolic for me. The the negative views comes under the assumption that the changes they made in their developmental system will not yield results. So that that's a big assumption. It's not to say they will yield results. We don't know long term what Craig Breslow's new implementations will do from a value perspective. We don't know if Justin Stone and his elite baseball training concept will apply to major league hitters. We we don't know yet. But the possibility is there. We already saw in 2020, so many guys develop, including even Adbert Alzali with Craig Breslow in uh, South Bend and his team. So we've seen some small tidbits to suggest that this new system will yield positive results. Now, at the same time, like understanding that, you can still be upset that they traded Darvish. I'm still upset. Like I'm still upset they traded Darvish for teenagers. Like I, I would not have an issue if the if the return back was something more projectable. Not to get into this again, but this is all to say that there is a middle ground, Corey. And it's not to say, hey, be positive. This Cubs team is you know beyond their bad years. Look, this is baseball, man. There is a possibility that this team in the next two years, if they don't perform well and the, and the system stalls in their minor league system, yeah, there is a possibility that you may have to delay your competitiveness again. That's that's for sure a possibility. Is it a certainty? No. And I think it's more of a certainty that it's not going to be that way at this point, given some of the talent you see in AA, given, given some of the changes you've already seen give you results. I think it's more of a likely bet that they won't go that direction. And Jed even said, like, the script of tearing it down and rebuilding from scratch, it's been used by so many teams, it doesn't work anymore. I think the fact that you have these tools available that you can take someone like a Justin Turner like the Dodgers did a few years ago and apply that to so many other positional players and do the same thing with so many of these other pitchers that the timeline to be competitive again is rapidly accelerated because you can find guys, target them, improve them, and get a competitive team faster than you could back in like, let's say, 2014, for example. And also, Corey, like from where I'm at, I... I I actually this 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 to me is why I watch baseball. Like I I want to see someone like David Bodie progress. I've said this before, but I want to see some guys come out of nowhere and be valuable players. And so the fact that you have these new types of systems in place in the minors where you can find more of these types of guys, to me as a fan, that's what I enjoy the most. So from a curiosity perspective, we're not going to be the top dog for the next year or two or three years, maybe. Maybe maybe in two years we will be. Who knows what will happen? But for the next year, as a fan, there's going to be a lot of possibilities where you can find guys who are going to develop and contribute and be potential all-stars. I think that's also a possibility. And to follow that, to see how this type of new age development works is really intriguing and worth watching. Um, and there, there's going to be a lot of very interesting names, you know, especially because we didn't have a normal minor league season last year. We're, we're you know, we're finally going to get to see some of these guys. Um, you know, I know like someone like Burl Caraway was at the alternate site at, at South Bend, I think a little bit. 
Um, but, you know, actually being able to get footage of him and watch him in game action and competing against other top prospects and things like that. Like, there, there's going to be stuff to, to keep an eye on. And, and as you said, none of this stuff is guarantees. But, you know, there are going to be guys, uh, Amaya being one of them, Marquez being one of them, Brennan Davis continuing to be one of them, someone like Cole Franklin. Like, there are going to be guys who you can watch. And if they continue to take the strides that they have throughout their development, that's informing a lot of this and a lot of these future plans and and these future timelines. And if these guys succeed and they continue to have success, then we're, you know, we're moving on the right path. And, and, you know, maybe we get a look at some of the guys that they just got for Darvish and you sort of see it all come together a little bit more. But, but yeah, like none of this is guaranteed. It's, it's all a very volatile process. And, you know, look, we're at the end of uh, a a particular window that is, you know, uh, for better or worse, going to be looked back on as, you know, several guys who didn't really pan out the way that you thought they did or thought they would, right? That that contributed a lot, uh, but didn't necessarily take that last step or that next step into being elite or, or anything like that. So of course it's risky. You know, we literally just went through that, right? Like, and, and Theo's talked about it before, Jed's talked about it before, and I mentioned it on this podcast that we've talked about it a bunch that you know one of the the problems that is that really has nothing to do with ownership uh that we've highlighted a lot is betting on these guys for too long and Theo admitted at one point that that was a mistake that he made was was not pulling the trigger on changing things up with some of these guys and committing to these guys so we know this you know we know that this is a, a tough process and building from the bottom and and having that success all the way to the top is is not easy. Um, But I just wanted to sort of reiterate um, that, you know, whether we're angry at them for trading Darvish or not, that does not mean that, uh, you know, we think things are as bleak as, and I don't think we stated that we did, but I'm just clarifying. Like there, there was some discussion that was very bleak uh, in the immediate aftermath of of the Darvish trade, and I just don't really ascribe to that line of thinking. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, and part of that is going to see how the rest of this off season pans out. Um, you know, Jed Hoyer didn't necessarily tip his hand um, one way or the other. Um, you know, he did note that they they still want to make some uh, additions and some adjustments to various things, but, you know, didn't really give us much of a tip as to, you know, whether the money saved from Darvish could be repurposed, uh, whether it was going to be, you know, very, very thin and they've got a little bit of, of room to add. We, we, you know, we don't really know other than they are not going to be in that upper tier and they're not going to sign guys that have, you know, really hefty, significant long-term contracts. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I would say, again, stay prepared for other guys that you love and, you know, maybe a a favorite player whose jersey you have or things like that to be moved because that's just where we are. If they move you Darvish, they can move basically anybody, right? Um, So we'll see what happens in that regard and, and we'll break it down. But I do think that given where they are, given where they have to be, there is a, a path forward to being as competitive as we want them to be again. When that is, I don't know, but there's a path there. Uh, And in the meantime, I also think they can take advantage of playing in a really, really stinky division. Um, And, 
you know, go out there and, and screw around, right? Like, let's see. Um, it's going to be interesting, but we will be here for it. And I, I think at the very least, 2021 started with some good news to bring it all full circle, which is, uh, you know, a, a very good play-by-play hire um, and one that, you know, clearly a lot of fans are very excited about. And while that's not, you know, that doesn't have much to do with the product on the field and the team on the field and, and their performance, it's, it's it's a huge part of the experience. Um, and uh, this is a, a welcome addition that, that the Cubs made in John Boog Shambi. So that's good news. We will keep at it uh, with what they do in terms of personnel decisions on the field. If there is breaking news, we will jump on here and discuss it. Uh, but otherwise, we will probably talk to you guys at the beginning of next week. Uh, I, you know, I think going forward here, you know, maybe we'll look to have uh, a couple guests on, take a look at the minor league system, and you know, just get some some outside voices from from Brendan and I to get their perspective on what's been going on with the Chicago Cubs, because there's a lot of ways to look at this. There's a lot of ways to look at how they proceed forward, uh, and we will, uh, you know, have plenty of time to break it all down. So, as always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. If you have a moment to drop us a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you listen to podcasts, that is most appreciated. Helps us get a little more visibility. Um, And we appreciate your guys' interactions on social media and everything else as we begin uh, a new year, 2021, with the Cubs-related podcast. And as always, we will be here to break everything down. Thank you guys for listening. And no matter what, we always end by saying, Go Cubs!